Greetings in the Master's name. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. So what's that from? What for document was I reading from? Well, not quite. Yeah. Yeah, it's the Declaration of Independence. And uh, so the title of the message is Life, Liberty, and Happiness. And I want to look at some of these phrases here. First of all, it was interesting to me. I never, <clears throat> usually I think about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But it says that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. Now, uh, in the director, okay, this is the second paragraph in the Declaration of Independence. The first one says that, uh, basically it says, uh, since we're uh, declaring our independence, we should give you some reasons why. Uh, you don't just do this lightly, you know. There's got to be reasons for it. And so then they go into their reasons. But anyway, it says that governments are instituted among men deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. Uh, turn to Romans 13. In other words, the Declaration of Independence says that governments derive their powers from the consent of the governed. In other words, from the people. Now, what does Romans 13 say? Let every soul be subject to the higher powers. There is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. So where do governments derive or get their power? From the consent of the governed? Is that what Romans 13 says? It says, the powers that be, there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. And uh, the, the, the Bible doesn't, in other words, it's, 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 it's clarifying to to measure or evaluate the thoughts of men by the thoughts of God or by the revelation of God. Uh, in 1 Peter 2, Okay, I don't. Okay, first Peter. Okay, I don't have the right reference there. Um, I'm not sure what, what I wanted. Maybe what, I just wonder something here. Anyway, I, I missed that one, but um, I have a couple more here. Uh, Proverbs eight. Proverbs eight. 
Proverbs 8, 13 and 14, or 15 and 16, rather. Proverbs 8, 15 and 16, see if I have the right reference there. Uh, it says, By me kings reign and princes decree justice. By me princes rule and nobles, even all the judges of the earth. Of course, that is, um, that is talking about wisdom, uh, that chapter. Uh, let's go over to Jeremiah 27. Jeremiah 27, and this one is quite clear. Jeremiah 27, the last part of verse 4, on through verse 7. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, thus shall you say unto your masters, I have made the earth, the man and the beast that are upon the ground, by my great power and by my outstretched arm, and have given it unto whom it seemed meet unto me. And now have I given all these lands into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant. <clears throat> and the beast of the field have I given him also to serve him. And all nations shall serve him, and his son, and his son's son, until the very time of his land come. And then many nations and great kings shall serve themselves of him. And it shall come to pass that the nation and kingdom which will not serve the same Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, and they will not put their neck under the yoke of the king of Babylon, that nation will not punish, saith the Lord, with the sword and with the famine and with the pestilence until I have consumed them by his hand. So he says, okay, I'm giving all this to Nebuchadnezzar, to his son and to his grandson. And then that'll be the end of his turn. And then there'll be other nations that'll take over from that. So who's giving these nations their power or their control? It's pretty clear. Daniel 2, 21, he removeth kings and setteth up kings. And then, you know what happened to Nebuchadnezzar? Even though God had given him the kingdom, had given him the power to rule, had, had, he was ruling by the consent of God, not by the consent of the governed. And he said, though, look what I've done. And it wasn't his power, it was God's power. And so, you know, he was going to be banished to the field. And it says in Daniel 4.32, seven times shall pass over thee until thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men and giveth it to whomsoever he will. And then one more um, along this line, and then we'll go to some other phrases. But it just, I had never quite just stopped and thought about that that phrase, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed and, and evaluating that in light of what the Bible says. Jesus told Pilate, talking about just powers from the consent of the governed, Jesus told Pilate, thou couldst have no power at all against me except it were given thee from above. Okay, moving to another phrase. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. That's what they wrote. And historians um, sort of debate um, what did they actually mean by that. 
that they mean that every person is equal. They were actually saying, in a sense, that we colonies are equal to England. But if you just take it at face value, which is probably not quite what they were saying, but that all men are created equal, is that the way they looked at the Native Americans? Is that the way they looked at the slaves? That everybody's equal? Now, it's kind of interesting. This Declaration of Independence, and that was what, 1776? And then the Constitutional Convention, when they were writing the Constitution in 1787, and, you know, this, they, they got deadlocked on representation. The big states wanted representation by population, and the little states said, no, we're not going to accept that because we get overwhelmed by the big states. And so they came up with that great compromise where there's going to be a Senate where each, each state gets two representatives, and there's going to be a House of Representatives where each state gets represented by the population. And, of course, legislation has to pass both houses, so that's still the way it works. But... There were some other things they had to figure out. The, the northern states did not want slaves counted as part of the population because that would give the southern states more say because that's where most of the slaves were. And the southern states wanted the slaves counted. They wanted them all counted. So they came up with this another nice man's compromise that each slave would count as three-fifths of a person. All men are created equal, right? <laughs> Some are just more equal than others. Uh, and so that's, that's man's... All men are created equal. You're not going to find that in man's, the way man functions. Uh, <clears throat> but all men are created equal. So God created man in his own image, and the image of God created him, male and female created he them. So every person is created in God's image, and that makes all men equal. Proverbs 22, 2 says, Rich and poor have this in common, the Lord is the maker of them all. So I talked about the three-fifths compromise and so on, Native American slaves. God does not discriminate age, color, ethnicity, gender, nationality. God does not discriminate. Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. So it's in Jesus Christ that we find equality. And man will, man will never engineer it. In fact, our lesson today is a, it, to me, is a very powerful lesson on that. The slavery in the Roman Empire, and it was very, very pronounced, and there were, I mean, there were slave uprisings in the time of the Roman Empire uh, because some slaves were treated, I mean, they were like accountants and they were like nannies and stuff like that. You had some like that that were just almost equal, you might say, and then there were some that were very brutally treated and worked in mines and so on. Um, and, uh, but here... Onesimus and Philemon, we hope that Philemon wasn't too hard a slave master, but 
And I asked the question in Sunday school. I said, did, did Paul approve or disapprove of slavery? Well, it doesn't, it doesn't say. And, you know, people back in, back, you know, during times of slavery here in the, in the United States, you know, people argued both ways from Scripture. Well, but what it does show, it shows a solution to slavery. I mean, he said, you treat him as a brother. In fact, it's said that in the early church, there were probably more slaves than there were free men. But if they're all treated as brothers, he says, a brother beloved. And I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, see, the scripture doesn't even say. But when he went back to Onesimus, I mean, Philemon, when Onesimus went back to Philemon, he was probably still legally a slave. But he was a brother beloved. And that's, that's the Bible. See, the Bible and Paul, the teaching, you cannot change the structures of society by legislation. The, 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 the solution to man's problems is changing the heart. So when he goes back to Philemon as a brother beloved, that is a better solution than just saying, hey, you've got to let him go. You can't own him anymore. You've got to give him his freedom. Well, anyway, that's neither, maybe neither here nor there, but uh, <clears throat> truly in Jesus Christ and in our relations to each other, all men are created equal. And uh, let's see, actually the verses that, uh, that Mark read for devotion speak to that exactly there in Luke. John 13, 16, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. And the second commandment, the second greatest command, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. That's equality. Uh, and thinking about how we're all equal, <clears throat> Romans 3.23, what's Romans 3.23 say? All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We're all equal. In that sense, too. All have sinned. We're equal. We're all equal sinners. When Peter was preaching to Cornelius, it says, Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. Uh, there's lots of verses um, and I decided I probably wouldn't have time to turn to near all these so I'll, if a person's taking notes I'll just give a few Matthew 23 8 to 12 I think that's similar to what Mark read maybe Luke 14 13 and 14 and also 22 that's the chapter Mark read uh, Luke 22 uh, Ephesians 2 14 that's where, that's where it, um, in Ephesians it says, God has broken down the middle wall partition between us. And particularly, I think, in the early church times, like, and it says about another place, it says about the Jew and the Greek. And you know, a lot of the wars, especially um, 15, 1600s along in there, uh, especially the, the 30 years war, 1618 to 16. 
48, I guess it was, uh, devastated Europe. And that was a religious war, supposedly, a religious war. But in Jesus Christ, there's not going to be any religious wars in Jesus Christ among those who are followers of Jesus Christ. Uh, okay, Ephesians 2.14, 5.21, Ephesians 5.21, Philippians 2, 3, the beginning part of Philippians talks about being humble and honoring others above ourselves. Colossians 3.11, uh, James 2, 1-4 talks about, you know, a wealthy person comes in and you treat him differently than you do a poor person. and said so that's not the way it works in, in uh, among the church. Uh, James 2, 1-4 and 8 and 9. And then Leviticus 19, 33 and 34 uh, talks about uh, how to treat strangers or actually speaking of immigrants. Okay, moving now to the life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness, and that's the title, if the person needs a title for the message. Certain unalienable rights. Okay, they are endowed by the Creator with certain unalienable rights that among these, they're not saying this is all of them, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Certain unalienable rights. Okay, unalienable, the word unalienable means cannot be taken away. They're saying these are God-given rights that nobody should take away. Um, and I'll look first of all to pursuit of happiness. It doesn't say happiness. It says the pursuit of happiness. And uh, turn to Psalm uh, 28. Psalm 28. I'm thinking about what man thinks about when he thinks about pursuing happiness. Psalm 28, verse 7. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusted in him, and I am helped. Therefore, my heart greatly rejoiceth. And with my song will I praise him. But I was thinking, when God is my strength and my shield, and I trust in him, I have joy. So the scripture doesn't use the word happy. Scripture uses the word joy or blessed, blessed, and so on. Uh, in fact, I didn't look. Uh, maybe somebody knows. Probably, maybe the word happy is in scripture. I don't know, but um, most of the time it uses more the word joy or blessed. Psalm sixteen eleven says, "In thy presence is fullness of joy. In God's presence is where we find joy." Now, there's some, there's some things in Scripture that um, it, it seems like a contrast or maybe even a contradiction. Like James 1, verse 2 says, My brethren, count all joy when you fall into various trials. So here you have testing, and here you have joy. And it says when you have testing, be joyful. So the pursuit of happiness, you see, 
Can I have happiness in trials? Well, James says, be joyful. Acts 5.41, they departed, when they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were kind of worthy to suffer shame for his name. Pursuing happiness, experiencing shame, experiencing suffering, is that a cause for joy? Well, it comes back to what the Psalms say in that presence is fullness of joy. There in Acts 5, they were living in the presence of God. And in 1 Peter, and maybe again we won't turn to that, but in 1 Peter it gives, it talks about suffering. Um, it talks about blessings, I think. Yeah, I guess that there it's not suffering. It's talking about the blessings of God, and it says, wherein you greatly rejoice. So that's where we find joy. And um, just a couple more verses. Um, John 16, 24. Hitherto have ye asked nothing in my name. Ask and ye shall receive that your joy may be full. Talking about pursuing happiness, you see. Looking at what the scripture says. We find joy when we share our needs with Christ, when we come to God in prayer, and we have that, and he answers our prayers, and we have that fellowship with him, and Jesus says, your joy will be full. And you've heard me quote this one before too, but Matthew 5, 6. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. That's where we get fulfillment. It's in pursuing righteousness. In other words, pursuing happiness. Every man has the right to pursue happiness, the Declaration of Independence says. And so how are you going to find it? What are you going to pursue? And Sermon on the Mount, Beatitudes, says you'll get it when you pursue, when you hunger and thirst after righteousness. And that's not exactly man's idea always of how to find happiness. Okay, life. Endowed by the Creator with certain inalienable rights, among these are life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. Life. And indeed, God did endow us with life. See, I think I already read that verse. Um, should be able to quote it. Uh, Genesis, Genesis 2, 7. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. So that's right. God did endow us with life. 
Job said, The Spirit of God hath made me, and the breath of the Almighty hath given me life. Another reference I won't turn to is Nehemiah 9.6. Now Paul, when he was preaching there in Athens, and we know Athens was the sort of the philosophy center at that time, and he said, about God. God is neither worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things. And the next verse talks about equality. And it's made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth. And maybe I should have you turn to more of these scriptures, but these are very familiar scriptures. I'm thinking about life. And what were they thinking when they wrote that in the Declaration of Independence? First uh, John, I mean John, chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And then in First in John, there again, John writing, and he talks about how they have experienced that life. Uh, let me just read it. Um, For the life was manifest, and we have seen it and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life. Now that's the, that's the, there's life and there's eternal life. And so, yes, God grants us both. In fact, in chapter five, it says, this is a record that God has given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. So, again, it's just... It's, um, it's, uh, it's revealing, it's... Um, but it's a way to it's a way to align our perspective with what God has said. In other words, okay, so thinking about okay, tomorrow's July the fourth, and thinking about the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution and the amendments and all this and the Bill of Rights. And we we are glad, we appreciate this country we live in. And the freedoms we have. And some of these principles that they tried to. I mean, when they wrote the Declaration of Independence, when they wrote the Constitution, so when they were well aware of the weaknesses of men. And some of the things they said were because of that. But man's reasoning is never going to solve the problems. And so to, to uh, measure man's reasoning by the word of God helps to keep our focus and our perspective. And so go to the scripture. Uh, now, but that God has given life, and in fact, God is the giver of life, and because God is the giver of life, man does not have the right to take life. That's a, that's a corollary. That's an equal principle. Uh, Genesis 9, 6, Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God made he man. God created man in his image, therefore man does not have the right to take another man's life. 
Exodus 20, 13, Deuteronomy 5, 17, thou shalt not kill. And when it, but when it, okay, so we, okay, life, in, according to the Declaration of Independence, is an inalienable right. Now, what, what did Jesus say? He said, don't be afraid of those who can take your life. Thinking, thinking about our spiritual, our, our physical life. He said, what you should fear is the one who can take your spiritual life. And of course, that comes back to, there again, thinking about these conflicts between nations. And our conflict isn't between ethnic groups or, or nation state against nation state or tribe against tribe. That's always been part of man's doings. Our conflict is the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. And so Jesus said, don't fear the earthly kingdoms and what they might do your physical life, but you fear losing your spiritual life. And... The Bible talks about the victory of those who lost their life but saved their life. In Hebrews it says they were stoned, they were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented. And that is in the faith chapter. Well, the last one of these words I want to look at is liberty. Liberty, and of course, I guess that's the big thing, you know, uh, thinking about July the 4th and so on, is liberty, independence. Um, it's, uh, turn to John 8. Uh, all these passages basically are familiar, but um, thinking about liberty, and here Jesus talks very specifically about freedom. And, and you know, notice in this passage how, should I say, sensitive people are to the concept of freedom. Um, because it says in verse 31 that Jesus is talking to believers. He's talking to Jews who believed on him. And he says, if you continue in my word, then are my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And they said, wait a minute. We're Abraham's children. We're not in bondage to anybody. We're free. He, somehow he hit a sensitive spot there. And Jesus went on to say, if you commit sin, you're a slave. You're not free. If the Son shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. And so Jesus does free us from the bondage of Satan. He frees us from slavery. And so that is liberty. That is liberty. Like, I was giving Mark a hard time, I guess, in Sunday school. He said, he said, who was Paul? And I said, he was a slave. And he said, who was Philemon? And I said, he was a slave. Um, because 
Okay, Romans 6. Romans 6 says, verse 22, But now being made free from sin and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. Of course, as you read this chapter, it says you're, you can be free from righteousness and be a slave to sin. You can be a free from sin and be a slave to righteousness. So you can always be a slave to something. You're going to be a servant to something. In First, first Corinthians, uh, and here again, man's concept of liberty, First Corinthians 7.22 says, He that is called in the Lord being a servant is the Lord's free man. Likewise also, he that is called being free is Christ's servant. And again, that's the writings of Paul. And that uh, inspired, of course, but that, lines up very well with the, 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 the book of Philemon uh, because Onesimus was the one that was a slave that was free and Philemon was the one that was free that was a slave. As far as this verse is concerned, you see, he that is called in the Lord being a servant, and that word is slave, is the Lord's freeman. That was Onesimus. Likewise, also he that is called being free, that's Philemon, is Christ's servant or slave. So, 2 Corinthians 3.17, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And James 1.25 talks about the law of liberty, and some people right away would see a contradiction in that law of liberty. In fact, there is no liberty without law. Once... And history, history gives examples of that where, where there's um, governments disintegrate. It's chaos. One more on liberty. 2 Timothy 2.26 talks about the snare of the devil being captive, taken captive by him and his will. So that, that's, That's a degree of liberty. Being free from the bondage of Satan is the liberty that we want to focus on. Now, now I was thinking, though, about, you know, again, the setting here, July the 3rd, July the 4th is tomorrow. And so we live in these free United States of America. What if we lived in Russia or Nicaragua or Haiti or Turkey or Eritrea? And you could go on naming dozens more countries. You see, I think the Bible teaches us how to live under any form of government. Because it says, it says, honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king, honor the king. And, of course, Romans 13 says you obey. And so honor the king. Now, that was a, that, that was a very difficult uh, situation during the Revolutionary War because for the people who believed in honoring the king, they had, they had pledged their allegiance to the king of England. Well, then, in all this, um, um, should I say, um, rabid environment of ind independence calling for independence and if you didn't if you didn't support the 
the revolution or the rebellion, whatever you want to call it, you were a Tory. But they had pledged their allegiance to the king of England. Well, then, as, as, as then once the country was established, so you have the government here, so that kind of solved the problem. But while when they were in the middle of it, it was, it was a big deal. Uh, but we're to honor the king. And uh, you see, man, this whole thing of life, liberty, the pursuit of heaven, thinking about liberty particularly, uh, man wants to be autonomous. And that means having the freedom to govern itself or control its own affairs. Countries want to be autonomous. They want to govern and control their own affairs. They don't like being invaded. Um, but as far as man himself, he wants to be autonomous. It's just kind of our nature. And I, I thought I'd read a poem that illustrates that. And some of you are probably familiar with this poem. But it was written... The poem Invictus, and the, uh, the word Invictus in Latin means unconquered. And Henley, it was written by W.E. Henley, and he was a militant humanist, and he hated Christianity. And so he wrote this poem sort of to shake his fist at God. And this is what he said. Out of the night that covers me, black as the pit from pole to pole, I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. In the fell clutch of circumstances, I have not winced nor cried aloud. Under the bludgeonings of chance, my head is bloody but unbowed. Beyond this place of wrath and tears looms but the horror of the shade. And yet the menace of the years finds and shall find me unafraid. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. And around the 1900, around the year 1900, there was a young lady by the name of Dorothea Day, and she had been um, uh, in, very much in favor of Henley and its humanism until she got converted. And so she wrote a response to uh, Henley's blasphemy, and represented her attitude as a child of God. And this is what she wrote. Her poem is titled Conquered. His was Invictus, Unconquerable. Hers is titled Conquered. Out of the light that dazzles me, bright as the sun from pole to pole, I thank the God I know to be for Christ, the conqueror of my soul. Since his the sway of circumstance, I would not wince nor cry aloud. Under the rule which men call chance, my head with joy is humbly bowed. Beyond this place of sin and tears, that life with him and his the aid, that, despite the menace of the years, keeps and will keep me unafraid. I have no fear, though straight the gate, 
He cleared from punishment the scroll. Christ is the master of my fate. Christ is the captain of my soul. I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Let's kneel for prayer. Our Father, we come to you as our, our creator and the one who loves us and sent your son to be our savior. We thank you for your care for us, for this um, that is beyond our grasp that you created this earth, this speck here in this vast universe and you created man and you created us to be your to be with you through eternity and even now for fellowship with you here on the earth we thank you that we can know you and talk to you and look to you for protection, guidance, truth. And so, Father, we praise you and we worship you. And we thank you for the liberty, the freedom from the bondage of sin, from Satan, the evil one. We can live in victory. And so, Father, as we face the trials of life, we face the testings and the temptations. Thank you for your Holy Spirit and the power there, the indwelling power of your Holy Spirit. And so as we go through another week, Father, and the things that we might face, the things that Satan might throw at us, uh, we ask you to deliver us from evil, deliver us from the evil one. And Father, we pray, forgive us where we displease you, we thank you for the blood of Jesus Christ that does keep the scroll clean. So may we live carefully with reverence and yet, Father, may we be not living cowed down by fear but full of joy overflowing uh, living to the praise of your glory so may our lives in the coming days be lives of victory and lives of giving glory to your name through your the outworking of your power within us we ask these things in jesus name amen <clears throat>